0: Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton, and this podcast is brought to you by Manning LA Accountants and Business Advisors. So I want to share with you a couple interviews that we've done over the last week on the Roundhouse Radio 98.3. You're talking about the future of the workplace, how it's changing drastically. Our first conversation is with John Stackhouse. He's Senior Vice President at the Office of the CEO at RBC. We're talking about how automation is bound to change things, 50% of jobs within the next 10 years here in Canada. So what are the skills that youths are going to need going forward? Great conversation with John. Stick around after that conversation with Mr. Stackhouse because we're going to speak to Rocky Ozaki from the BC uh, Tech Association. We're going to talk to Rocky Ozaki from the BC Tech Association all about how we are seeing collaboration change and morph within the coming tech industry boom that we're having here in British Columbia. But first, here's John Stackhouse.
1: Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Business in Vancouver today on Roundhouse Radio 98.3, where the daily business news program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIB.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe.
0: I'm Tyler Orton. Half of Canadian jobs face substantial changes within the next decade due to automation. This is according to a new report from RBC. The study, which I like the name of it, it's called Humans Wanted, it examines how younger generations and modern employers can prepare for the rapidly changing workplace. And joining us today is John Stackhouse, Senior Vice President at RBC. John, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. So this report, it opens up by saying that there are a lot of jobs out there in Canada. We're expecting millions of uh, worth of jobs growth in the coming years, but there's not enough skills right now. What are the skills that are going to be needed among younger generations in the coming years?
2: Well, we know about the digital skills that are needed uh, and it's a very acute demand in certain sectors, those are for for coding and the like. But what we're seeing and what we try to amplify in the report is a growing need across sectors for what we call human skills, communications, collaboration, critical thinking, teamwork, um, all the things that a great education should lay the foundations for. And We heard from employers and we saw in the data, whether it was in technology or resources or services, they need a lot more of these skills and expect to need even more in the years ahead.
1: And yet, John, these skills, these so-called soft skills, um, are they're almost, um, I wouldn't say rejected, but they're certainly, in a lot of ways, there's a tension in the education system about allocating a lot of time to them because they don't appear to have an instantly translatable uh, opportunity for someone in a job of some sort.
2: Yeah, you're 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 bang on, and Ian, just the term soft skills mm. tells us yeah, a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. These are actually really hard skills, uh, hard to hard to gain, hard to develop. But we certainly haven't measured um, or rewarded them properly. And in 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 the rush over the last decade towards skills like coding, I think we've lost sight of the 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 need for these other skills and it's a combination it's not uh it's not either or we need coders we don't need a nation of coders uh we need people who can work with coders who can criticize them who can uh collaborate with them and those take uh these these broader skills whether we call them soft skills or human skills or uh, or something else but we're not we're not very good at teaching these we, we we don't know how really how to measure them in school and as employers, we're we're actually not very good at hiring for them. And, and I think collectively we need to go through, and this is one of the things the, the report shows, uh, we need to rethink some of our approaches to education, but we also need to rethink some of our approaches to employment, to the way we hire and, and train and develop people to put a bit more emphasis on these human skills.
0: Yeah, one of the things that you guys are championing here in the report, though, is that we need more what you're calling work integrated learning for undergrads, essentially co-ops, as well as internships, you need people coming out of universities that have hands on experience. What did you discover? Maybe just, you know, you talk to me about, you know, all your experience throughout the years, but a lot of these new grads hitting the workplace without prior experience that they really need.
2: Yeah, it's just uh, unbelievable that we still have an approach to education where people, often their first serious encounter with the workforce is when they're 21, 22. Maybe they've had a part-time job or summer jobs, but it hasn't been sort of a high-value uh, employment opportunity or a work placement. And we've seen the success of work-integrated learning across the country, uh, in in colleges and in universities and, and in polytechnics. It's something. Canada is really good at, and we're kind of halfway there. I think it's 55% or so of university students and close to 70% of college students have a work uh, placement during, during their education that's, that's connected to their education. We believe we've got to get that to 100%. And we've got to make them high-quality placements. The way sort of Germany approaches uh, internships, we need to ensure these are not sending students into companies or government offices to run the the, the photocopier machine, if there is mm-hmm. such a thing anymore. Yeah, there <laughs> to, is. A, to, to, there, to there
1: is. I, I can't find a fax machine, but I think there is a photocopier.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but but we need these students to do meaningful work, not just. For their benefit, they, they gain a lot from it, but for the benefit of employers, because we learn from them, they force us to change, they question a lot of uh, our assumptions. At, at RBC, we take in about 2,000 students a year through a variety of uh, work integrated learning programs, and it's, it, it can be transformational, yeah. uh, what they do for us as well as, I think, what we, what we do for them.
1: Do we still have a, a large barrier here, John, around um, the respective jurisdictions? Involving um, the, the the suite of issues around education, um, but where we've got a, kind of a, the need for a national program, and yet provincial governments delivering many of these uh, through the education system, um, do, do we need something akin to a, a more generalized national experience in this space?
2: Yeah, this is a classic Canadian problem, and, and we all understand the reasons for this, and you know, no one is out to. To, to remake confederation, but I think everyone knows that we need a national approach to to skills and to talent we're We're a tiny country thirty five mm-hmm. million people in a nation of seven and a half billion. Uh, we have to work as thirty five million people as a more of a team Canada, which we can be good at and respect provincial jurisdictions prevent uh, or uh, respect the, the differences between universities and colleges. And secondary education, but also find a way to 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 bring it all together in a national approach because students coming out of school they don't they don't care about jurisdictions employers coming into Canada or creating firms in Canada they don't lie awake at night thinking about jurisdictions only the people who are employed in those kind of jurisdictions really care about it sometimes for a good reason but but they uh, I, I think know there's an opportunity as Canada heads into the 2020s to work much more collaboratively across the, uh, across the country to build the sort of talent nation that we know Canada can be and, and really needs to be in the 2020s.
0: Our guest today is John Stackhouse, Senior Vice President at RBC. We're talking about a new report about how automation is really changing the workforce and what both students as well as employers are going to need to adjust to everything that's happening here. And I want to narrow in on, say, employers here, because you had mentioned earlier that a lot of them don't know how to judge kind of the right hiring, especially for some of the soft skills. What do employers need to do to, I guess, be prepared for all these ongoing changes that are coming about
2: due to automation? Look for what you're needing skills-wise in terms of augmentation. A lot of uh, jobs are not gonna be replaced by automation, but they will be transformed skills-wise. Uh, and whatever your employees may be doing today, five, 10 years from now, it'll be fairly different. The job may still be the, the, go by the same name of plumber or team leader, uh, but the skills required will be significantly different. So where's, where's the puck going? Uh, great Canadian question, Wh- yep. what sort of skills are you going to need? Are your employees going to need, say, five years from now to work with uh, the sort of technologies that are emerging now? And that's where these human skills uh, that we call them will be more in demand. You'll need people who can learn those technical skills as they as, as they emerge but have that ability to learn.
1: In reading your study last week, uh, it, it added, obviously, to the literature – around how uh, this generation of new worker is going to accommodate um, a lifelong career of some sort. And it requires a great deal of navigation um, and uh, a certain amount of uh, acceptance that there are going to be some setbacks around things like uh, automation. But I wonder, um, have you been able to determine which country or countries have it generally right, John?
2: The one that gets... uh... Cited a lot as Singapore, and it's, it, it's a city-state, so a bit uh, a bit of, of, of an exception. Uh, but their approach to skills is really uh, really good, and, and 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 offers some lessons for us. They have a, a essentially a skills account that every person is entitled to that allows you huh. to accumulate points or to save for investment in in lifelong learning. We're a country that developed the idea of RRSPs and actually made them pretty effective. So we've wondered in the report, how do we take that sort of thinking and apply it to skills? So if you're graduating in your early 20s, how do you contribute to an account and have your employer and maybe your government contribute to the account? And you can draw on that when you're in your 30s and 40s to, uh, to enhance, develop, or even uh, start uh, start some new skills. The Scandinavians are also, uh, are also pretty good, as one would expect. And it's interesting to see what's going on in the United States, uh, which is much more cutthroat uh, market. But in a way, because of that, a lot of large companies that are going through heavy automation um, realize they can't afford to to get rid of a bunch of workers and then hire a whole bunch of new ones. It's more effective economically to retrain the people they've got. So if you look at AT&T, at Disney, at Boeing, they they're all starting to put serious money and thinking into reskilling. And there's probably some good examples there for corporate Canada or Canadian employers of all shapes and sizes to uh, study a, a little more closely.
1: I mean, out here, of course, we um, we hear a lot about the talent shortage that uh, companies are, are really scouring the woods there to try to find the people they need. Does Is the corollary of, the, of something like a, a, you know an account that you have over the course of your lifetime, is a corollary of that that you then have to um, have some loyalty or Continuity with a company that the, they have to maybe have a kind of a golden handcuff on you as uh, as they develop your skills.
2: Well, that might be. I mean, that certainly echoes kind of the old Japanese or Korean uh, models of lifelong employment and that kind of social compact that they have with uh, with employees. But, but I think we're comfortable enough with portability, which we yeah. have now with pensions that we could we could apply that to uh, to employment as well. And. I think we're seeing with uh, new generations the desire for that, a little more flexibility uh, in their career management where they know they're going to move from company to company or maybe run their own companies uh, and want that, uh, want that flexibility.
0: Well, excellent. John, always great talking to you. I appreciate you joining us on the program today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's John Stackhouse, Senior Vice President at RBC, and you're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Tyler Orton, and I'm
1: Kirk LePoint. Stay with us.
0: And that was John Stackhouse from RBC. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott, accountants and business advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott accountants and business advisors a call at 604-714-3600, that's 604-714-3600, or I'll check them out on their website at ManningElliott.ca. Up next, we're speaking to Rocky Ozaki from the BC Tech Association, all about how collaboration and teamwork is changing in this new era of the workplace. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We are the Daily Business News Program from Business in Vancouver Newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton, and every couple of weeks, we look at what the future of work will mean for employers as well as employees, and today... We'll look at how the way we work within organizations, in teams, how that's going to change. And join us once more. It's Rocky Ozaki. He's co-founder of Now Innovations. He's also vice president of community at the BC Tech Association. Rocky, thanks for joining us on the show. Awesome being here. Thank you. So what's in store for maybe the future of Teams, because I think teamwork is something I, I, I'm i always kind of a team player in my workspace. Mm-hmm. It's usually not Tyler first, although maybe sometimes colleagues would disagree. But I would like to put that team first mentality. But what's in store for kind of the way that we need to rethink of? things right now.
3: Right. So I think the probably the fundamental, I'm not even sure it's a shift actually, Tyler, is this, that we have become pretty good, I think, in in uh, modern companies of being collaborative within your business unit. And what we're seeing now is the appetite to be more cross-functional. And so teamwork now, it, it goes beyond when you're working on a project in in operations or in HR and accounting uh, whatnot, is how are you leveraging the input from others, the stakeholders cross-functionally? That is the definitely the trend that i'm seeing
0: yeah so then is technology playing a part in that in being able to leverage all those collaborations that we have going on right now
3: Yes. Now, whether or not it's helping to truly solve the problem is still up for debate. So, I mean, let's reference a local company in Slack. Slack has, has fundamentally changed the way that we message and collaborate uh, within organizations. Uh, but then some are saying it's getting noisy, and this is why they created the threads. And and, and now there's other uh, um, you know apps entering the market that are trying to create uh, more concentrated conversations. But to the short of it, yeah, absolutely. Whether it is cloud-based um, project management tools like Trello or the communications like Slack, Te- technology is definitely playing a role in it.
0: So then w- what does it mean then with regards to how organizations should be training up people? Because, you know, yeah, you can just say, Hey, employees use Slack mm. and then like you- you'll walk away. I-, I don't know if that's really the best strategy, right? No, it, it's not. And I think that goes to this ongoing
3: narrative around the hard versus soft skills. And I think where one of the areas that we generally can be better. And I'm, I'm not sure we've actually ever been good at this. I was thinking, um, you know, when I was in, in university, we were taught about soft skills. So that was 20 years ago to date myself. But today, are we still any better at that? And so now we're saying because of technology, because of the pace of, of the world, because of blah, blah, uh, how do we how do we, how do do we we evolve those soft skills like collaboration, like communication, critical thinking? Um, so these are the things that we, I, I don't have an answer for, but certainly we have to invest more in those soft skills,
0: preparing uh, not just young people, but everyone for this future work. Well, just with regards to that, I mean, how much, Look, some people are, let's be honest, are just really good with soft skills, like Mm -hmm. naturally. It's kind of part and parcel of who they are. How much of it can, I I guess, either educational institutions or else just workplaces kind of train up people that may need help with that or or just help their employees? Because I just wonder how much that gap is going to be between the people that are naturally good and the people that do need that extra lift.
3: Such so a fascinating question because it it, was, it it made my mind sort of pivot over to the whole intro versus extrovert. So back in the day, the extrovert generally, I would argue, uh, obtained uh, elevations in role and salaries and, and status because they were outgoing or garrison, et cetera. And the introvert was often, not always, but the one in the back of the room actually making the difference. And so then we started, particularly because I'm in tech, we're starting to see a lot of the introvert's uh, again, generally speaking, like our engineers who are making the biggest difference in organizations, and they don't have necessarily those 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 uh, extroverted skills. So, it's a that it's, you know, I I don't know a lot of people who, like you said, just naturally have stronger soft skills. Um, I think that one of the things that we're going to have to get to grips with, just generally in the workplace, is this whole idea of belonging and loneliness in the workplace, and that um, we're going to have to, as an or- as organizations, uh, identify these softer skills for not just Organizational effectiveness, but employee health.
0: Right. For me personally, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, and I think being in journalism kind of helps when you have to force yourself to talk to like 10 people, 20 people uh, every few days. So it's yeah. just one of those kind of natural things that. I, I don't know like I definitely feel for the people that want to re-up their skills or, or you know fine-tune their skills but it's also kind of troublesome for some workplaces where they're like I don't know if everything's gonna work for the exact same person in the exact same way if you just go into one single seminar no. and have everybody sit no. down right Yeah, no, for sure yeah so tell me a little bit like uh, with regards to uh, those soft skills so I, I mean what are some of the critical ones? Like what are some of the basics that I think we could all kind of get in line with here? So first of all, I would say entrepreneurship.
3: Um, And and really, if I drill it down, it's this this idea of resilience. I think that in this world that is just changing so rapidly, whether it's our jobs, it's it's our technology, it's our life, everything is changing. If we can't build more resilience within our young people, I think we have a problem. Um, but beyond that, entrepreneur, which I'm very passionate about, I think it comes down to, I mentioned it before, It's just, I, it's just these three C's, creativity and communication, I guess there's four, collaboration, and you mentioned it earlier, is critical thinking. The world today, we're moving toward more human centricity. We have all this data, which is great, but we don't actually use it very well. How are we complementing this hyper, um, this, this community, this world that's, that is so connected with data, how are we balancing that with actual collaboration and communication, again, using creativity and human centricity To solve problems now that we have the data. Because the data alone isn't
0: going to actually solve our problems. Rocky, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no problem with data at all with (laughs) regards to... I don't know if you've been (laughs) following the news, but I I don't think Facebook has any problems with data. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, our guest today is Rocky Ozaki. He's co-founder of Now Innovation, and he's vice president of community at BC Tech Association. We're talking all about how teams and collaboration are changing a lot. It also makes me think about the fact that just the way that we work is very different. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of... I I think co-working spaces have been blowing up. We also have people getting into telecommuting. And I wonder what that really spells for the future of collaboration. If maybe we're just going to be kind of disparate places, you know, just in our Mm -hmm. day-to-day work lives and and only get to collaborate face-to-face with people maybe once a week, twice a week, or or just half the week, for example.
3: So, to again, uh, quality over quantity. So, tell me an organization doesn't say they overmeet. Tell me a person who doesn't get bogged down by these, oh, yeah. these messy these made up meetings, right? So yeah, I was at WeWork yesterday, I worked the entire day at WeWork, and I was able to collaborate remotely again through through the Slack uh, and through our other cloud-based platforms with my team and got just as much done, but in the environment that was more conducive for me. And then the other piece around collaboration with these co-working spaces is this idea of serendipitous collisions. So I'm sitting at WeWork and I'm collaborating with my team and I'm getting stuff done. And then all of a sudden someone beside me is working and mentioned something about a project he's working on that interests me and all of a sudden now we engage in a conversation how collaborative that was that and that wouldn't have happened if i was just sitting in my office space um you know sitting behind a desk or in a cubicle in an office room and just going in and out of meetings within my organization that actually weren't offering much value Uh,
0: just for me uh, personally my own strategy and you mentioned you know the risk of getting bogged down we had a meeting a team meeting for, for a project that we're working on here at business in vancouver and uh i, I was the guy who insisted yeah we, we do a stand-up mm. meeting we, we just stand around we we don't want to get too cozy Let's get in and out of it, this about like five, That's maybe right. eight minutes. Yep. Is there, are those? It might be a little off-putting or a little less cozy to some people, but does that sort of stuff kind of work though? Oh my gosh, it absolutely does. I think so. What I'm seeing, again, I
3: use the term modern companies. Abs- the stand-up absolutely works. Standing up, the purpose behind that is so you don't get comfortable. Just get to the point. And so If you follow like some of these agile methodologies, when we do our stand-ups, it's basically three questions. What did you do yesterday? what are you doing today? And what are your impediments? And we answer those three questions quickly. We don't solve them at the standup, but we unearth them at the standup. We'll figure them out later. And so standups to me really work, but there's also certainly an appetite to get people together. And so this is where I'm a huge fan of doing your town halls. And so Mm. maybe the cadence is quarterly or monthly for you, but get your team or the broad organization, if you're not that large together and start to share, be transparent about what's happening and solicit that feedback. Those types of meetings are more powerful for communication Collaboration than these these recurring meetings that we just have just because to make ourselves look busy.
0: See, in journalism, if if you're doing a town hall meeting, you're literally going to town hall and yeah. talking about what the, the mayor is saying, the council is saying. But it brings me back to my pre journalism career, and, and like I, I did work for like a, a notable tech company, and we would have these town halls. They'd bus us out across town to like this huge amphitheater, mm. and it got me thinking about like it, it actually was conducive. Like we could all kind of feel as if the company everybody was on. Bored with what the company's mission was, as opposed to kind of the, the siloed feeling that you'd often get if you're just hearing it from maybe just your direct supervisor. Is that kind of like one of the good ideas coming out of this? Yeah, it absolutely. Is
3: it's it's to me it goes back to building culture, yeah, and, and that's a really hard thing to do. And these little tactics work.
0: Well, speaking of which, like when I was working for that company, like I also had to collaborate with people on the other side of the Pacific, mm-hmm. and it was okay, so you had like very different time zones. But I, I'm just wondering how technology is playing a part with, with how we can collaborate with people from long distances we talked about kind of the difference between like say going to your co-working space or telecommuting but what about collaboration with people that you can instantly connect with but honestly they, they live maybe on the other side of the world mm-hmm. well until we
3: can kill time zones I don't think we're I mean I, I don't have a ton of experience with it I do have some uh, freelancers who work for uh, do some work for me out of India and mm-hmm. time zone is is a challenge but is, for me, it's, it's still language, and the fact that they have a strong grasp of English and we can communicate, it, to me, if I'm on the cloud or if I'm virtually communicating through Slack or whatever, honestly, whether you're in the door, the office next to me or if you're in India, there really is no difference, right? Yeah. And so I don't know... Uh, I don't see barriers outside of time zones and language when it comes to overseas.
0: I'll say this though, with regards to time zones, I don't even think it matters because everybody's has got their work email on their phone now. Mm-hmm. I, I was answering emails, I think at like 10.30 last night. Mm-hmm. And then I was uh, answering emails once again at about 6.30 AM. Yeah. So it's uh, not such a big uh, problem with regards to time zones. So anyway.
3: that, that yeah. And, and that actually gives me the shakes a little bit because I started thinking about, is, do you want to? Is that expected no, or is
0: that a choice? No, I don't. Believe me, Rocky, I don't right. want to be answering yeah. these and, emails, and s- but it's it's kind of you kind of feel like this you need to to a certain degree right I
3: don't believe in that myself, okay. no. Uh, and for a whole other conversation, I do think that organizations have to, one of the biggest dysfunctions is that with the shiny object syndrome and this FOMO mentality, if, yeah. we can, if we can get organizations and people to be hyper-focused on their strategy, what are the strategic imperatives? How do you actually move the needle? And you adopt these sprint mentalities. All of a sudden now, those, those desires and, and, and those outcomes or those feelings that you have to do emails, et cetera, after hours, go away in my in my experience. Is no one I talk to, or very few people I talk to, sh- do not have some struggle with this idea of work life balance, and we've got to fix that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Rocky. <laughs> uh, we'll leave it at that, but I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Right. Thanks, Tyler. That's Rocky Ozaki, co founder of Now Innovation and vice president of community at BC Tech Association. And you're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 983. I'm Tyler Orton. Stay with us. We'll be back right after the break. And that was Rocky Ozaki from the BC Tech Association. And I want to thank you all for listening to Business in Vancouver. That was Rocky Ozaki from the BC Tech Association. And I want to thank all of you for listening to the Business in Vancouver podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us and give us five stars on iTunes if you'd be so kind. It'll help us reach even more listeners. In the meantime, this podcast was brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Reportin. You can read all of our stories here of the BIV team. That is at BIV.com.